Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Well, good morning, Worship Center. Tim Spanberg here, lead pastor. Um, and in a moment, I'll read our text for this morning, which is 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it there. If you're using a device, that's great as well. But glad to be with you on video this morning. And so now here is our scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Welp. My beard has been trimmed. I uh, took a photo of uh, my beard the morning before I went to get it trimmed. Here you can see a picture of that. It's pretty beautiful, right? Well, sadly, my beard has been trimmed. And I know you're wondering why. Um, It actually had been six months since I had trimmed my beard in any meaningful way, since July. And a lot happened between July and January. Um, I took this new job. The Cubs traded Javi Baez. I uh, moved my family from Kansas City to Indiana. The Cubs traded Chris Bryant. Uh, And we bought a new home and have have moved in. So a lot has happened in those last six months. My beard and I went through a lot together. So why why would I trim it? And the answer is, that to be in relationship with anyone, there is typically a red line, a boundary you're not allowed to cross. And my beard finally got to a length that crossed the red line for my wife. It was too long. She put her foot down and said, get that thing trimmed. And so I did. And now my beard is in a garbage can at a barbershop in Laporte. That's ultimately how relationships work. There are boundaries and red lines where if you cross them, the person you're in relationship with might no longer want to be in relationship with you anymore. And John says that there's a red line, a boundary God has with us, which is you cannot love the world and love God. That's a sermon for this morning. You cannot love the world and love God. And that raises two questions. What is loving the world 
And why can't you love the world and love God? Sounds like a sermon. Two questions. That's what it is. First, then, uh, what is loving the world? What does it mean to love the world? And John gives us three phrases to unpack that. He says, don't love the world, the things in the world. For all that is in the world, verse 16, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life. So those three things for John constitute loving the world. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what are those three things? Well, first, desires of the flesh. The the word desires there, it's the Greek word epithumia. It's two words put together. So the word thumia is desire, and the word epi is like on top of or, or higher, uh, hyper. So think hyper desires. These are, these are passions. Um, it, it, it refers to pleasure and, and self-gratification. And I like the way John Mark Homer in his book Live No Lies describes this word. He says it refers to our base, primal, animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially pertaining to sensuality, as in sex and food, but also to pleasure in general, as well as our instincts for survival, domination, and the need for control. So desires of the flesh are pleasure, self-gratification, the desire to be in control. And then most commentators point out, John then describes this word in further detail, or this phrase in further detail, with the next two phrases, the desires of the eyes, in the pride of life. So, what are the, the desires of the eyes? Well, have you ever heard the phrase, the heart wants what it wants? Well, that phrase was initially coined in an interview between Woody Allen and Walter Isaacson, the famous biographer. And Isaacson was interviewing Woody Allen because he had be, uh, entered into a, a relationship with his step daughter, or, or kind of his stepdaughter, that he had been dating the, um, her mother for years, and then it found out they were actually in a physical relationship together. It was disturbing. It was troubling. And so Walter Isaacson interviewed Woody Allen to explain this. And Woody Allen was defensive. He refused to acknowledge any fault or any wrong in what he had done. And eventually, as Isaacson pressed him, Woody Allen lets out the phrase, the heart wants what it wants. Well, what was a troubling and disturbing phrase at the moment of that interview, in many ways, is now the, the, the phrase that describes how our culture views the world, that we have desires, and if we try to deny those desires, we are harming ourselves. The heart wants what it wants, and it should get what it wants, or else you're harming Yourself. And John is saying that is actually what loving the world is. It's to have desires of the eyes, to see what you want, and then to take it for yourself. In many ways, that is like the defining ethos of our age. The one thing that we can almost all agree on is that I want to do what I want to do, and no one should be able to limit my freedom to do what I want. John is saying that ethos is actually incompatible with loving God. If my vision of my life is I should get to do what I want, my heart wants what I want, and I should take it for myself, John is saying you cannot have that vision of life and also love God. And so it raises some questions that maybe you should, should reflect on with me. 
How much do you say no to yourself? Are you able to say no to yourself, your desires? And how much willingness do you have in your heart to restrict your own freedom in order to love and serve another person? John says that the desires of the eyes, I see and I take it for myself, is loving the world, and that is incompatible with loving God. But John goes to a third phrase to unpack what loving the world is, and that's the phrase, the pride of life. Now, most commentators will point out that this phrase, pride of life, is most likely referring to possessions, to greed of possessions. And so one of my uh, favorite Twitter follows is Outrageous Zillow Homes. It looks at homes that are listed across the countries and, and uh, puts pictures of them. And, and some of them are pretty outrageous. One of them I saw this week was a home in Connecticut. Here's a picture. Uh, it looks like a, like a Disney castle almost. But what caught me was they built a moat to their own house in Connecticut. Now, I actually, Connecticut's one of the states I've never visited. But my, my assumption is in wealthy Connecticut, you probably don't need a moat to protect yourself from whatever might attack you in Connecticut. And yet they had the, uh, the resources, the money to build themselves a moat to their castle. It's a, an example of outrageous wealth and possessions. And while I'm going to bet probably no one at Liberty Bible Church has built themselves a personal moat to their home, the reality is we live in a culture that encourages possessions and greed and accumulation and wealth. And so again, some questions to maybe reflect on. How much of your income do, do you give away to the poor, to the mission of the church here at Liberty Bible Church, to the mission of God around the world, the kingdom of God, mission agencies? How much of your income do you give away? The Old Testament standard kind of floor was 10%. And yet studies show the average Christian has a hard time getting to giving 10% of their income away. How much of your income do you give away? As you've gotten older in life and your standard of living has increased, has your, your percentage of generosity, what you give away, increased? John says if we are living, living a life driven by the accumulation of possessions, that's a life incompatible with loving God. You cannot love the world and love God, John says. So why not? Why are these, these two ways of, of living the world, both a, a, accumulation of possessions and a life driven by self-gratifying pleasure, why is that incompatible with a life of loving God? So that's point two, and I want to I say three things to that. The first reason why this, these two ways of living are incompatible is just John tells us. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? So, mic drop, sermon over, John says it, it's true, period. You can stop talking to him. Yes, to some extent, but I, I think we do need to meditate on this, why this is. And John does a couple of things here in this passage. Well, one in this passage and the rest through, through the rest of the book so I think further help us illuminate and understand why it is the life that loves the world is incompatible with the life that loves God. 
And the first thing he does is something I've never noticed in the book of 1 John until the last couple of weeks as I've been studying this passage, which is in verses 12 through 14, John slows down and speaks to the the men in the church in particular. He repeats himself, which in the scriptures, anytime there's repetition, that's important. They're not repeating themselves because they forgot what they just said. They want you to really hear what's being said. And in verses 12 through 14, John is speaking to men in particular. And there's there's three words John uses. Children, which refers to men and women. That's how he's referred to all of the Christians in the churches he's writing to. But then, secondly, he addresses fathers. And thirdly, he addresses young men. Now, Some translations refer to this as the mature and immature, but that's just not a good rendering of the Greek. The Greek language here is gendered language, and John is speaking to young men and older men here. And so this is the second thing I want to say about why the love of God is incompatible with the love of the world. John, I think, uses men a bit as a case study of what loving God looks like when it's done well, and we know examples of love of the world for men when it does not go well. And so, so what I'm going to do is to do what John does, and for the next maybe 10 minutes, slow down and speak to the men in our church directly what John is saying here. And the reason, a couple, you might say, why, why do that? Why not do that like at a men's retreat? Um, and so a couple things to that. One, if you're a woman listening to this sermon, here's why I think it's important for you to, to, to listen, even though I'm going to primarily be addressing men. One reason might be you're raising a son. And you need to have a sense of what the biblical vision of, of what a man who loves God is. Um, secondly, it, it frankly just you need to hear this to hold us men in the church accountable to the vision God has laid out in terms of who we are um, to be. And then thirdly, listen, we all we all have seen the stories in the last few years of men who have led the church and failed, and and I think we need a positive vision in front of us. But the other reason why I think it's important to do is is uh, to, to slow down and speak to the men in our church in this moment is. My, my sense is we're living in a time with a, a real crisis of what it means to be a man in our world. That on the one hand, you have toxic masculinity, which we've seen expressed, especially in podcasts like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Unhealthy expressions of males and, and, and their position in the church. Or I think sometimes we just say men and women are the same. There's no difference. And men who are growing up in the church wonder, what does it mean that I am a man and following Jesus as a man. And so I just want to briefly speak to that because John speaks to that here. And I want to say four things to the men in the church and to all of us listening. The first thing John says is that older men who love God are fathers. They are fathers. I write to you fathers. And this is even how John himself has written this book. He keeps referring to the Christians he's writing to as my children, as little children. And he's doing that because he's writing as a man older in his life. He's probably in his his mid-80s, late-80s maybe even, writing as a father to children. And he wants the older men in the church to see themselves as fathers, so because I'm, I'm not yet quite an older man in the church, I reached to an older man in the church this week here at Liberty to say, hey, read these verses and tell me what you see. 
and speak into that. So I, I emailed uh, Mickey Weston, who his job is to disciple men. That's his entire vocation. And I asked him what he thought, and he, he gave me a lot. He gave me so much. Uh, he probably should have preached the sermon, let's be honest. But um, one thing he gave me, I want to quote uh, for us in, in an email. He wrote this. I remember Bruce Wilkinson once saying that he believed the most fruitful time in an individual's life is between the ages of seven, 55 and 75. He states that reasoning comes from the fact that those individuals have experience, time, and more financial freedom to pour into the generations coming after them. I believe that is part of what Adron is addressing here. Fathers would be the older and more spiritually mature men in the congregation that have wisdom from experience, more time, and potentially more finances to invest in younger men. And that's, I think that's, that's right on. What our world tells us, what the, the love of the world tells us, is when you get to the end of your life and you've accumulated the, the f- more financial freedom, more experience, more wisdom, our world t- t- says to you, go spend that on yourself. Go have, you know, go, go have a, a, a wonderful retirement and spend that on yourself. And listen, we're not speaking against retirement, but what if instead you, you had a vision that your accumulation of all that, you, all that God has given you through your life is meant to be used as a father to, to, to pour into and give away to the next generation. John says, fathers, you are, or older men, you are fathers in the church. And the primary gift you have to give to us younger men is that you know him who is from the beginning. You know Jesus. That phrase, him who is from the beginning, is another way of describing Jesus. So if you've known Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years, you've accumulated so much And John's encouraging you to have the vision of your life to give away what you've accumulated to those coming behind you. So that's the first thing John encourages. The second thing is is he says, men who love God are strong. Verse 14, he has these three phrases. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. So so what does it mean that, that men are to be strong? I want to be clear, this goes beyond like physical strength. But if you go back to Genesis 2, when the man is created and he's, he's put in the garden, before the woman is created, God gave the man two commands. He said to the man, you are to work and to keep this garden. In other words, you're to use your strength, what I'm giving you, to work and to keep, to, to be a shield for this garden. And then what we read in the next chapter is, a snake comes into the garden. Anyone who has a garden or has some land, you know, when you have a snake, you kill it. That's what you do. But instead, the snake comes into the garden in Genesis 3, and he strikes up a conversation with the woman. And we should be wondering, where is Adam, who was supposed to be shielding this garden, protecting it? And he is not speaking. He is functionally absent in that story. He was to use his strength, again, not physical strength, but, but strength to protect the garden. Instead, here we have the serpent tempting his wife, and he's silent. And I love the way Jeffrey Hemmer in his book, Man Up, describes this event. He says this, Adam will test the veracity of God's word with the, wife, with the life of his wife. Right, so the serpent comes in and says, you can eat from that tree, you won't really die. And Adam, instead of coming in and speaking the truth of the word of God, 
allows the serpent to test the truth of God's word with the life of his wife. He's not shielding anything. He's not protecting anything. And so love of the world tells you, use others to shield yourself and protect yourself. Use the lives of others to protect your own pleasure, your own wealth, your own life. But men who love God and are strong shield others. Use their strength, whether it's intellectual or physical, use their strength to shield others. The second thing, or third thing John says to to men in particular is that, that men who love God abide in the word of God. All right, verse 14. The word of God abides in you, young men. What, what does that mean? Well, the other time that uh, John talks about the word of God abiding in you is, is chapter 2, verse 5, where there John writes this. Actually, let's start in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So John, in in 1 John 2, verses 5 and 6, says, If the word of God abides in you, then you walk as Jesus walked. And if you remember our sermon from last week, where John takes that then is that we are to love one another as Jesus has loved us. So when John speaks to the young men in verse 14 and says, The word of God abides in you, what he's saying is, The word of God abides in you, which means you walk as Jesus walked, which means you love others as Jesus has loved you. Men in the church should set the pace for sacrificial love. The love of the world says, pursue pleasure and take what you want and spend your resources on yourself. Love of God says, I deny myself, I serve others, I put away my pleasures so that I make sure those around me are loved in the way they need to be loved. And again, Jeffrey Hemmer in his book, Man Up, writes, Jesus is the icon of perfect manhood, teaches men to pick their battles. What's worth fighting for? The good of others, the lives of others, the forgiveness of others. What's not worth fighting for? Yourself, your own interests, your own wants or needs. You have, been given your, you have been given your life and new life in Christ to be of service for others. So those who love the world, the desires of the eyes, the, the pride of life, use the world to enhance themselves. They protect themselves at the cost of others. But love of God says, I will love others as Jesus has loved me. And how does Jesus love me? By giving up his own life, by denying his rights to love us, that men who love God abide in the word of God. And the final thing John says um, to, to the men in the church, to young men in particular, is that you have overcome the evil one. And I just love that as a vision for life for young men, that your, your role is to overcome the evil one. I've got three boys and whatever they find in the house becomes a weapon by which to wage war. Now, in total truthness, that's also true of my daughter. She also finds weapons to wage war with. But for the time being, we'll speak to the, to the young men. Right? They, they just, there's a battle to be fought. I mean, that's what so many movies are about, is the young man fighting the battle to, to go and live a life worth living. And what John says to the young men in the church is your role is to fight the evil one because you have overcome him. So I just, man, I invite you into that vision of life, that your life is spent to be over, 
coming the evil one. Now, that's a, a million ways that can be worked out. But one way I want to press into briefly is, is how do we overcome the evil one? Well, remember, who is the evil one? Well, Jesus said he's, the, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. So the primary, one of the primary ways we overcome the evil one is we tell the truth. And when I, when I sift through all of the stories of failed church leadership or failed leadership of men in our broader society, how much of it was because men would not tell the truth and would sit in deceit or lies and allow other men to take from others because they wouldn't tell the truth, that we overcome the evil one by telling the truth. But again, I, I want to be clear, I don't say any of this to men to shame us. And that's what I love about what John does here. He doesn't say, hey, men, do better. Actually, what he says is, no, this is who you already are. Older men, you already are fathers in the faith because you've known Jesus from the beginning. Young men, you already are strong. The word of God already abides in you. You have already overcome the evil one because you are in Christ. So therefore, live into that calling. And so that's my word to men this morning is may we live into the calling in front of us that Jesus has given us. So, why is love of the world incompatible with love of God? Well, I've given you two reasons. One is that um, John just tells us, Mike dropped. Uh, secondly, is we have this case study of men who love the world versus men who love God. And th- those are just two radically different ways of inhabiting the world. Men who, who use their, their lives to enhance themselves versus men who deny themselves like Christ to enhance others. Those, those lifestyles, are, they're just incompatible with one another. Uh, but there's a third reason, and this is where we'll end together. And, and that is to go back to where we, we started. So I've got a little brief video to show you here, about 30 seconds of, of how to catch a monkey, how they caught monkeys in colonial times. And here's how they did it. They had a, um, a canister where they would put something the monkey desired into the canister. And as you can see in the video, the monkey would, would uh, stick their hand into the canister and, and then the hole in the canister, it was wide enough for the monkey's hand to get through, but when they grasped whatever was in the canister, they couldn't pull out what was in the canister. And so the only way they could free themselves is just to let go of what they desired. But as you see in the video, they, they, they don't let go. They hold on, they grasp. And then the, whoever was trying to catch the monkeys as, as prey, they, they've got them caught because the monkeys refused to let go of what they desired. The heart wants what it wants. And it never leads to life. It always leads to slavery. And you see that, that here. So Gerald uh, May, he writes, In a spiritual sense, the objects of our attachments become idols. We give them our time, energy, and attention, whether we want to or not, even and often especially when we are struggling to rid ourselves of them. We want to be free, compassionate, and happy. But in the face of our attachments, we are clinging, grasping, and fearfully self-absorbed. That what he's saying is when you and I live a life of love of the world, pursuing our pleasures or accumulating possessions, we are clinging, grasping, and self-absorbed. And, and here's why that's incompatible with the love of God. It's because you cannot spend time with God and continue to want that lifestyle. 
And think of it like this. When I, when I moved to Kansas City, I had no intention of ever rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. Zero. In fact, the, the Colts, if you know the Colts' history, have an incredible history of always beating the Chiefs in humiliating playoff games. So I had no desire to root for the Chiefs. But when I got there, uh, a key leader at our church worked for the Chiefs. His name is Mitch. And if you hung out with Mitch, like he loved the Chiefs. He was always wearing Chiefs gear. He was always excited about the Chiefs. Like you could not be with Mitch and not love the Chiefs. And so you had to make a choice basically at some point. Either you were going to love the Chiefs and be Mitch's friend, or if you hated the Chiefs, you just eventually you would drift apart. And so over time, because Mitch was such an incredible person, I grew to love the Chiefs because I grew to love Mitch. And I want to say the same thing happens to you and I. The more we spend our time with God, the less love of the world makes sense. Because who is this God who loves us? He's the fundamentally antithesis to self-absorption, clinging and grasping and taking what he can get in, in spite of everyone else. No, God is the precise opposite of that. He doesn't cling. He doesn't grasp. He's not self-absorbed. But our Father gave us His own Son. He didn't grasp even His own Son, but gave Him up to a cross so that you and I could be loved. The Son of God, even though He had every possession you could ever imagine, a heavenly dwelling, the angels adoring Him, He gave all of, those, he gave all of it up and became poor and entered into a backwatered town in Galilee to become human flesh to teach this world what the love of God was and eventually to show this world what the love of God was on the cross. And the reality is you and I cannot be in communion with that God and not eventually begin to see the love of the world as a, a disgusting, empty, worthless way of in, in, inhabiting this world. And so I leave you with two thoughts. First is you, you can't force that. You just need time with God. But there is a practice that Christians have traditionally entered into to deepen in the love and experience of God and to let go of the world. And that's the practice of fasting. I'd encourage you to pick a day this week and fast. Give up food this week. Not as a legalistic way of, of trying to earn God's approval, but a way of saying, God, I know possessions don't give me life. I know pursuing my pleasures don't give me life. So I'm going to give up food for this day because I need you. I need you more than food itself, God. I need your love to come in and empty my soul out so that I wouldn't grasp things that ultimately don't lead to life. That's one, one thought. But my, my, my final thought ultimately is, is you can't. You can't cultivate this on your own. You have to open yourself up to receive the love of God. And the more we dwell in his love for us, the more we see him doing for us what the love of the world despises self-sacrificial love, being a shield to protect others, giving up his rights in order to serve and save us. The more we embody and experience what God is for us, the more the world becomes disgusting. And the good news for us is not that we have to earn that before God, but, but he loves us now. So even if this week you spent your time pursuing yourself, your pleasures, accumulating possessions, God still loves you today. His heart towards you is still love. And if this God loves you, what else do you need? And the promise of this passage and this book 
in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ is that this selfless God does love you. Let me pray for you. Father, may the good news of the gospel that you love us despite our grasping at this world be the good news that releases our hands of what we desire, what we are trying to accumulate and instead open them to receive your love. Spirit, do that in us, I pray, for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.